0: with what we were talking and we didn't even plan it so he's uh the holy spirit is funny like that he's always got uh, something up his sleeve well let's do this let's go to the lord in prayer and then if you'll take your copy of god's word and turn to proverbs chapter four let's go to the lord together father you indeed are an all-consuming fire but god you tell us that If we'll call on the name of your only begotten Son, that we can boldly approach your throne and we can come before you. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you uh, as their Lord and Savior, that uh, that that would happen today. And God, I pray that uh, as we, we spend the rest of this appointed time together, God, that you would change us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in His name. Amen. Well, we're in Proverbs chapter 4. This is uh, probably my favorite proverb, uh, and my favorite part of the proverb comes at the end. Uh, being a pastor can be an incredibly uh, awkward at times where people are always asking what your favorite verse is. They're always asking you questions about the Bible, which is all good. But uh, I really enjoy a lot of different parts of the Bible, and I don't have one that's overwhelmingly my favorite. You're welcome to judge me if you want to, but I just don't. Uh, I, like, I like, it just depends what I'm studying, so my favorite verse probably changes uh, throughout the week and month and the year. But if I had to pin down, if you if you pin me down and you said, all right, what's your absolute favorite verse, If one that you like more than any other, it would probably be in Proverbs 4 for now, uh, and I'll tell you when we get to it, but it's going to be at the tail end. So here we go, Proverbs 4, let's read together. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, as you guys know, Solomon is the writer of, of Proverbs, and Solomon sets aside this little, this little proverb, and he says, listen, my son, to a father's instruction. And so he takes his boy by the arm and says, listen here, son, to a father's instruction. As you guys know, Solomon is going to be uh, the wisest man in the world. God comes to Solomon and says, ask for whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, and this is incredibly humbling. Solomon is probably 30, 35, somewhere in there. God says, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon tells God this. He says, I am but a boy. And have no idea how to rule your people. Please give me wisdom so that I can do a job well done. And you think, wow, Solomon's 30, 35 years old. God comes to him, asks, says, ask me for whatever you want. And Solomon says, I'm but a mere boy. And I don't know the things that I should know. Something going on out there? You guys are looking puzzled. Talk to me. Do what? All right. No, something, something funny is going on. You guys are looking around. All right. No worries. They might hear something. I don't know. Here we go. Anyways, we'll get back on track. So Solomon's, Solomon says, I'm but a mere boy. I don't know what's going on. And you have to remember that Solomon is David's son. Now, a lot of times we think of David and you think of all the, the poetry that, that David wrote. You think of all the 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 non-manly things that David did. But the reality is, is that David is an absolute man's man. Uh, they would go out into battle and David would kill thousands of people single-handedly. They would go, they would come home from battle, and when the whole, the whole country and the whole army is, is parading in front of the town, the people would applaud Saul. Remember Saul was the king before David. They would applaud Saul and they would say, all, all hail Saul, you're so great, you've killed thousands of people. And then later on in the parade procession, David would come by and the, the, the group of people would just erupt into all of this praise. And they would say, oh, David, twice as much as they did for Saul. David, you are so incredible. You've killed tens of thousands of people. And that's one of the things that made Saul upset at David to begin with. So anyways, here you have this man, David, absolute man's man. David had this group of friends. Uh, we had uh, dinner with with John and Velvet last night and we were laughing at our five boys because they're about the only five boys in the church. And we were laughing that they were all riding their bikes and all the other little kids in the neighborhood were going to go inside when they saw our kids riding bikes because they, they looked like this little gang. But anyways, David ran with this gang of men that were so grand, they were called David's mighty men. And if you read about David's mighty men, one of them gets ticked off at something, grabs a, grabs a dead animal bone, and just goes and defeats the whole army like it's nothing. Most people pick up a sword, pick up a gun, pick up a machine gun, something wild, and go out and fight. This guy just picks up a bone and goes out and, and, and cleans house. So this guy, David, is an absolute stud when it comes to men. And David taught Solomon. So much so that Solomon grabs his boy and says, Listen, son, to a father's instruction. When I was a boy on my father's knee, this is what my father taught me. Quick quick application. The teaching that your children get about the things of God, do they come from you? Where do your children learn most about the things of God? Is it within the inner workings of your family? Or do you bring your children to church so that they get everything they need? America's spiritual foundation is heavily built on the backs of ladies who teach Sunday school and men who teach Sunday school. So often we bring our kids to church and expect them to get filled up with what they need. And then we go home and we go about our weeks as normal. But we, as parents, need to be diligent to make sure that we take our children, set them on our knee, and we teach them the things that they need to be taught, not just drop them off at church. One of the things that, uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, how much you keep up with how the church is progressing, but one of the things that churches have done recently, when I say recently, the past 60 years or so is they've developed this new position in the church called a youth minister or a youth pastor And this is a guy that we hire as a church to teach our kids uh, The ways of christ and one of the things that it's done poorly Is that it has gotten parents disengaged from teaching their children and we rely on the youth pastor to teach their To teach their children whatever it is. They need to learn and that's a tragedy so by the way, just, just so that you have it on your radar screen, we need to be people who grab our kids by the neck, sit them on our knee, and teach them things. David grabbed Solomon, put his arm around him, and taught him. And this is what David taught Solomon. Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget My words or swerve from them. Verse 6. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Verse 7. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Anybody know what wisdom is? He's going to start out in the book of Proverbs, and he's going to tell you exactly what wisdom is. Solomon wants you to know, before you even start the book of Proverbs, that wisdom starts... With the fear of the Lord. If you don't have a fear of the Lord, you can't have wisdom. And David tells Solomon that wisdom is supreme and above everything else, you need to seek wisdom, boy. Don't be foolish. Seek wisdom. The Proverbs are also going gonna, to gonna compare and contrast the difference between a fool and someone with wisdom. And the Proverbs call a fool uh, not just someone who is, uh, we'll call it stupid in today's language, but uh, a fool is someone who is morally deficient. And so the difference between a fool and someone with wisdom is that someone that's wise, fears the Lord, lives a holy, reverent life, and a fool is someone who is morally irreverent. Follow me? Good deal, we're in good shape. And so David says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. The way that you get wisdom is through fearing the Lord. Think about your life on a daily basis and how often you progress in your life and do you think about fearing the Lord. We're told, wisdom is supreme, get wisdom. The way that you get wisdom is to fear the Lord. And so David, above everything else, wants Solomon to fear the Lord. Then he says this. This is the the middle of verse 7. I'll start in the beginning of verse 7. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. And so David has sat down with Solomon and he's told Solomon, wisdom is supreme, get wisdom. But he doesn't just say get it. He says Though it cost everything you have, get wisdom. Wisdom is worth giving up everything that you have to have. Most of you guys have have met wise people, and most of you guys have met foolish people, and you would all acknowledge also that you don't want to be the fool. And Solomon says that, or David tells Solomon that wisdom is so great that it's worth laying down everything that you have to be wise. Then we go on. He says, "Esteem her, talking about wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you." This is verse 9. "She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor." And so if you will leave everything you have and seek wisdom, wisdom will exalt you. If you remember, Christ is going to say that God exalts the humble Now, how in the world does that happen? If you're humble and meek, how does God raise you up? Well, when you are humble and meek and full of wisdom and not a fool, people around you will raise you up and they'll see how great you are because of your wisdom and understanding. And in doing so, you will have a garland of grace put around your neck. See, it's not always the things that we say and do, but it's our sense of wisdom and understanding that exalt us amongst our peers. And so David tells Solomon... Wisdom is supreme. Get it. Though it costs everything you have, get understanding. And so, check this out. Solomon is a young man, and he's about 30, 35 years old, somewhere in there, maybe as old as 40. And God shows up to Solomon in a dream. And he says, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon says, I want a Porsche. All my friends are riding ponies and I want a Porsche. That's what I want. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say I want a ton of money. He doesn't say that I want honor and glory and all of those other things. Solomon knows that dad said above every single thing else in this world that I was to get wisdom. And so Solomon says, God, I want wisdom. He wanted wisdom. Because dad pulled him aside, set him on his knee, and said, son, above everything else in this world, you need to get wisdom. Men, when you pull your sons aside and you tell them things, they listen. I'm going to give you a couple quotes from MTV. I don't know if if, if our older generation knows a lot about MTV, but uh, MTV is an incredibly corrupt um uh, TV station that is reaching out to your children trying to, to get their attention and trying to encourage them to live morally depraved lifestyles. I've summed up the whole TV station for you in, a, in one sentence. That's all you need to know for the sake of MTV. But it's, in, <laughs> it's incredibly uh, entertaining for, for a lot of our students. And so, this TV station was interested in what was the most, what was the biggest influence in children's lives and in your teenagers' lives. And so here's a secular TV station has set out, and they've done this They've done this survey, and they wanted to know what's the most influential thing in a teenager's life. And do you know what it was? Mom and dad. Here's a TV station that spends millions and millions of millions of dollars, probably into the billions, to get your teenagers. And when they surveyed your teenagers, what they found out was that you are the most influential thing in their life. And sadly, some of the most distant things in a teenager's life is mom and dad, is grandma and grandpa. We're around, but we're not invested and engaged in their lives. And here's Solomon, wisest man in the world. He knows when God shows up, dad said get wisdom, so I need to get wisdom. Moving on. Verse 10, listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked. Or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. Solomon says then to his son, Son, avoid the way of the wicked. Don't walk with wicked people. You are to avoid them at all cost. And why do you avoid wicked people at all cost? <clears throat> because they will make you stumble and they will make you fall. He doesn't say hang out with them a little bit, observe the things that they do and then don't do them. He says stay away from the wicked at all cost or they are going to make your feet stumble. Now, I'm moving on because I want to get to the end of this section. But real quick, when it comes to wisdom and understanding, and if you understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that if you're going to fear the Lord, you're going to live an honorable life, uh, this honorable life and the garland that wisdom puts on you is absolutely priceless. Uh, God definitely does have a way of making you walk and your feet not stumble. I have a really good friend of mine who's planning on moving to Wake Forest, in about six months. And his wife, he's just recently gotten married, and so they're 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 looking for work, they're looking for employment, and his wife just picked up a really good job uh, as a school teacher. But they wanted to hire her, but she went home and she said, you know, I'm leaving in six months, and I really need to tell my employer that I'm not going to be there for the whole year because I feel like that's the wise and honorable thing to do. I'm going to be hired for a job, but I'm going to have to leave in the middle of it. Now, I don't have a job now, and I want one. I want something that pays the bills, but I cannot with a clear conscience take this job. So she goes to her employer, and the employer says, I appreciate you telling me that. Uh, let me look at a few other candidates, and then if none of them work out, I'll call you back. So she had a job. Then she turns the job down because she wants to do the wise thing as a Christian and be honorable and above reproach. And so her husband calls me, and he tells me this. And I just get this big smile on my face because I'm excited that they've done the right thing because what's more valuable than having money and riches is that now this couple is walking with wisdom and understanding and when they go to bed at night, they can rest their head on their pillow knowing that they did the right thing. And they've got hope and they've got peace about the things that they're doing. And those sorts of things, those those garlands of grace that God puts on you when you conduct yourself this way, are absolutely priceless, and they are more valuable than silver and gold. Then he says in verse 16, after he tells you to avoid evil people, for they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. That's why you avoid evil people, because they can't sleep till they do evil. They're robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence teenagers, students, you wonder why your parents want you to be in by 10. You wonder why they want you to be in by 11. Sometimes you think midnight's too early to be in. Your parents understand something whether you realize it or not. They understand that nothing noble happens when the lights go out. When the sun goes down, there's not much honorable going on. So your parents tell you to be home in a reasonable hour, To keep you away from wicked people. Because your parents know that wicked people, whether they say it like this or not, they understand this, that wicked people cannot sleep until they cause someone to fall. And your parents don't want you to be the person that falls. Because they know that bad company corrupts good morals. And so you think that they're old prudes because they tell you to be home at a decent hour. But they know something that you don't and they love you and they care about you. this is going to come up a little bit later. So, they cannot sleep till they do evil. Verse 18, listen to this. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. The path of righteousness like the first gleam of dawn. A lot of you farmers wake up probably before the sun comes up because when the sun comes up, you're going to get to work. Uh, I don't like to wake up before the sun comes up. I'm not convinced that there's oxygen before the sun comes up. I think that the sun has something to do with it. Anyways, however, when I was in the army, when I was going through basic training, they would wake us up before dark, they would tell us to get dressed, it would be freezing cold outside, and we would start walking to God knows where. And so we're, we're walking, and we're freezing, and we're, and I don't know about the rest of the clan, but I'm praying that the sun comes up, because I know when the sun comes up, it's gonna get warm. Well, what do I learn? I learned that when the sun comes up, it actually gets colder for about 30 minutes. Then it starts to get warmer. Something about the air thinning, the temperature drops a little bit when the, when the sun first comes up. So now I'm praying for the sun to go up even faster. But you're walking along and you're walking up and down hills and it's dark. You can only see the guy in front of you. You can only see what's immediately beside you. And the Bible says that righteousness is like the first gleam of daylight. When you're walking down a path And the sun comes up. And that first beam of the sun reaches out. It lights up the whole earth, at least all the earth that you can see. And it's incredibly beautiful. And righteousness opens your eyes to the things around you and you can see. Sometimes it's the first time you've been able to see in 12 hours. When you come to Christ and when you forsake other things and you try to get wisdom, your eyes are opened. When you are righteous, your eyes are open to the world around you. And it's like you were walking in darkness, but now you can see because of righteousness. So the path of righteousness is like the gleam of dawn shining ever brighter till the full light of day. And you guys know that as soon as that sun breaks, it doesn't stop until it reaches the middle of the sky and keeps going until it sets again. And righteousness is just like that. Once it breaks and you get a taste of it, you want more and more and more and more until the sun is at its peak and it shines on everything around you. Verse 19. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So here you have a good contrast between light and darkness. You have people that walk in light that have wisdom and you have people who are foolish who walk at night and they they stumble and fall. Now this is what this is the part that I like. My son, verse 20. Pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. And so he tells him again, My son, pay careful attention to what I say because these words are life to those who find them. And what does he say next? I picture Solomon is is in all of his glory. He's the king. He's the richest man on earth. He's the wisest man on earth. And Solomon lives in this giant palace. And so I imagine him sitting in this this kingly chair and he grabs his son and he says, Come here, son. He puts his son on his knee. And he says, Son, listen to me. Because my words are life. They're a treasure to those who find them. Son, above all else. So verse 23. Guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. And so he says, son, more than anything else around, listen to me. Listen to me, son. Guard your heart. Because from it flows the wellspring of life. And so Solomon wants his son to know that above every single thing else in this world, everything the world has to offer, all of the dangers of the world, he wants his son to do one thing mainly. Guard your heart. Think about what you do on a daily basis to guard your heart. Think about what you do on a daily basis to guard your kid's heart. What sorts of things do you allow yourself to see on television? What what sorts of things do you allow yourself to listen to on the radio? What sort of things do you allow your mind to wander off and think about? There's two ways that you can guard your heart. Solomon's going to give a list of ways to guard your heart, but they boil down into two main things. Everything that you see and everything that you hear somehow make its way to your heart. Whether you want them to stay there or not, they they affect your heart. And so the things that you allow yourself to see work their way to your heart, whether you realize it or not. So what sort of things do you look at on a daily basis? Those are the sorts of things that are eating away at your heart and you don't realize it. What sort of things do you allow yourself to listen to? Those sorts of things affect your heart, whether you realize it or not. If you're always looking at, uh, at other people's vehicles... Now, last week I was a little i was a little rough on you. Uh, this week we'll go a little bit of a different route. If you're always looking at someone else's truck and you're always looking at someone else's tires, you're going to want a big truck with big tires. Guaranteed. If you're always looking at the things that your friends have, you're going to want those things. And pretty soon you're going to bury yourself in work until you can get those things. And then do you know what's happened when you've buried yourself in work? that work that you spend all of your time doing will have stolen your heart because your heart is in the things instead of the person who should have your heart so he says guard your heart above everything else let me tell you some things that uh, that i want to i want to pray right now that god guards me against legalism because i don't want you guys to think that i'm legalistic by any means i think that christ has died He's died for your sins, and He has died to set you free from the law. And so living under Christ, you have an immense amount of liberty and freedoms as Christians. Right? Is that an amen? It should be good. It should be really good. You should be incredibly excited about that. But here are some things that, that we use our liberties for that are incredibly unhealthy. And some of you are going to think that I'm, I'm wrong, and you're entitled to that. But I hope that, I hope that this sparks up some good conversation. I think that the Christian culture has gone too far when it comes to movies. I think that we as Christians watch movies that we have no business watching. I think that we, we use a lot of our money to pay for tickets to contribute to directors and producers producing things that are that are garbage. There are some things that we as Christians should never set our eyes on. I have, uh, I have a lot of friends who have just recently gotten married at our last church. We were a part of a ton of weddings before we moved here. Do you know what never crosses my mind? I never, never have dreamed of this. Following a couple that's just gotten married and peeking in their windows on their honeymoon. Never dreamed of it. And you think, wow, why would you say something like that? We as Christians on a regular basis go and watch movies and we approve of the very same sorts of things happening. But it's Hollywood actors doing those acts and we think that it's normal we'll go to the red box, we'll go to the movie rental store, and we will rent movies and we will bring stuff into our house that we would never go out and see with our own eyes. And so you think that it's weird when I say I've never thought about going and watching a couple on their honeymoon, but you, when you rent a movie, invite someone into your living room to do the same sorts of things that are abominable for you to look at yourself. Just to put it, a little more bluntly, I'm scanning around to make sure there's no real little guys here. You should never watch a movie where you see another person naked. I don't know if this sort of thing's ever been said in church, but it needs to be. There's only one person that you need to see, and that's your spouse. And you don't need to see them until you are their spouse. Boy, that's an amen. Amen. A lot of a lot of dads, a lot of dads should have been amen in that one. Listen, we as a culture have approved a ton of things that are that are off the charts and that we should have no business approving. I don't know how often you listen to the radio, but if you will buy in to, um, I don't think most of you guys listen to rap music and such, so I won't even hit on it. But if you buy in to a country music radio station and the things that it says are important. And this is this is this is this isn't even the the bad part. Take a girl like Taylor Swift, and I'm not preaching against Taylor Swift. I wish I had as much talent as she had. If all your kids listen to is Taylor Swift, remember the eyes and the ears work their way to the heart. If you buy into all the things that Taylor Swift has to say, then your kids will think that their boyfriend breaking up with them is the worst thing that could ever happen to them. And that's a tragedy. If the worst thing that ever happens to your teenagers is that someone breaks up with them, then they have missed the mark. We cry over boyfriends and girlfriends more than we cry about sin and, and, and doing things that are abominable to a holy God. And that's a tragedy. So I don't want to be legalistic. I want to name a few things so that you can see some of the things that I'm talking about. But we as a culture do not do well guarding our hearts. You want to know something that I don't do? Personally, I don't get on YouTube and surf around and watch cool videos. Every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, there's a really cool YouTube video. You should go see it. And so sometimes I'll get on YouTube and I'll go watch that video. And then you know what I do? I get off of YouTube. Why? Because you know as well as I do, you're only two clicks away from being in over your head and now your computer screen's full of garbage as opposed to somebody falling off of a skateboard, which was incredibly funny. And so it started out funny. Now it's abominable. And you're only talking about two seconds. You think your kids don't know how to get in trouble on a computer? You think your kids don't know how to, how to do certain things on their iPods? You've lost your mind. You have lost your mind. Trust me. Solomon says this. This is how you guard your heart. You put away perversity from your mouth. You keep corrupt talk far from your lips. This is what the song said. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before the Lord. So, you keep a guard on this. You want to guard your heart? You watch this thing. If you're always saying, I like, I like, I like, I want, I want, I want. This is a spokesperson for this. Out of the overflow of the heart, things come out of the mouth. The things that you talk about, if you're always putting people down, if you're always telling people how great you are, that's this. This is going to be a tell-all for this. So he says, guard your heart. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Solomon's dad, David, was on a roof one day and he sees a lady bathing. You want to know how you keep yourself from seeing ladies bathing on roofs? You keep your eyes straight ahead. You be where you're supposed to be at the right time and you look at what you're supposed to look at at the right time. So he says, Fix your eyes straight ahead and look that way. Listen, Christ is the goal. For you and I as Christians, being like Christ is the goal. Once you get saved and and the Holy Spirit indwells you, the rest of your life should be being more like Christ and following Christ. And so he's the goal and you should keep your eyes fixed on him. And anything that doesn't help you become more like Christ, you need to rid from your life. So you keep your eyes straight ahead. You fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet, verse 26, and take only ways that are firm. Christians shouldn't do sketchy things. If there's anything in or around you where you think, "Mm, I don't know how good this is going to be, you need to stay away from it as Christians. Only take ways that are firm. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And so guys, as we finish up, You as a Christian should do everything that you can do to guard your heart. Listen, accountability is a great thing. You need somebody running this race with you to help hold you accountable. Now, I hope that you guys didn't tune me out when I started naming things that that the Christian church has approved of that, that maybe you haven't heard before. And so don't hear me as this legalistic guy. What I want you to do is to actually take a look at real life and what's really going on and compare it to what this says. And I want you to above all else get wisdom and guard your heart. Listen, Christ should have your heart. We should be people who are, are Christ followers, who are generous to those around us, not selfish self-seekers. Following me? And so Solomon says to his son, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Guys, when you wrap your whole life around following Christ, there is an immeasurable joy that comes from that. We serve a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die so that you could be forgiven of your sins and I could be forgiven of my sins. So God takes on flesh, becomes a man, and dies in your place. You deserve nothing but but hell, and He comes so that you can have immeasurable riches in Christ Jesus. And then he doesn't just die for your sin And make you his slave. He gives you joy. He gives you peace. He gives you all these other things. And he gives you his Holy Spirit living inside of you. So that you can reach the world around you. And when we get on board with that. Then all of this other stuff. That he says guard your heart against. Doesn't matter anymore. But somehow we as Christians have lost sight. Of all of the things that God has done for us. And we use those liberties to do incredibly foul things. And in turn, we give our heart to them. And there lies the tragedy. That we serve the things instead of the Creator. It's often said that God is is like the best baker that there is. No offense. And He has for us these incredible desserts that He wants us to feast on. And we're out back eating mud pies When he's got these incredibly great things for us. And so guys, as we come to our time of invitation, I want you to pray and I want you to search your heart. And maybe you need to put up some guards in your life. Maybe there's some things that you need to guard yourself against. Maybe there's some places that you don't need to go anymore or some people that you don't need to see anymore. Whatever it is for you, I pray that you would do some sort of business with God. If you're here and you're lost and you've never met Jesus Christ and you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life, uh, come speak with me. I would love to introduce you to him. And so as we come to this time of invitation, I will lead us in prayer. Father, we love you more than life itself. And we, as your people, pray that you would help us to guard our hearts God, I pray that You would help us to stay focused on Christ and the cross. And God, I pray that everything that comes out of our mouth would be an overflow of our heart that is so in tune and so in love with You that You just pour out of our mouths. God, I pray that we would be light in a dark place. And God, I pray that that we would be light pushing back the darkness all around us. So Lord, I pray that You would transform us into what You want us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful in your sight, and we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Here, it means the world to me. I hope you guys have a great week, and uh, as you go throughout this week, I pray that you would uh, give some thought uh, to the things that we were talking about this morning, and there are some things that, uh, that we need to put in place to guard our hearts Maybe uh, we need to be more diligent as parents and grandparents in uh, guarding the hearts of the younger generation. And so uh, just just give some thought to it. Let that still, small voice, the Holy Spirit inside of you work. And uh, the way that he gets louder is you obey the things that he says. I by no means want you to obey anything that I say. Uh, that's probably not completely true. But uh he's he's the one I want you you chasing after. He's the one I want you listening to uh the most. And so Doctor Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?